Welcome to the Cold Steel Surgical Podcast with your hosts Amir Farouk and Chad Ball. We've had the absolute privilege of chatting with some amazing Canadian as well as international guests over the past year. While the topics have been broad in range, whether clinical, social, or political, our aims for the podcast continue to remain the same. We hope to inspire discussion, creativity, scholarly research, and career development in all Canadian surgeons. We hope you enjoy our second season as we continue to highlight some incredible guests, deliver detailed masterclass sessions on a myriad of clinical topics, and introduce some fresh new features such as debate and companion formats. We hope you relish the podcast as much as we do. Jessica Grossman is a digital marketer, actress, and model. She also is a powerful advocate for patients with Crohn's disease, and she specifically has done so much to destigmatize what it's like to live with a stoma, which is a surgically created opening that allows stool to exit the body into a bag. Her work with her website, uncoverostomy.org, has garnered widespread attention and is an incredible resource for patients with inflammatory bowel disease. In this episode, we explored what it's like to live with a stoma from Jessica's perspective and what physicians and surgeons can perhaps do better when counseling patients who might have or might need a stoma. Check out Jessica on Instagram and Twitter at Jess Grossman. If you're comfortable with sharing with us your journey, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, your your experience with Crohn's and and how that has evolved uh, in your life? Yeah, I mean, I love that you're asking if I'm comfortable when I'm basically naked on my Instagram showing off my ostomy. So definitely comfortable <laughs> talking about it. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I was I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at the age of nine. I was actually sick um, starting around the age of eight, and um, I was always a kid who liked sweets. And my parents, you know, I was young, so this is from what my parents told me. Um, but they remember there was one night when I didn't want dessert and it started to make them a little concerned. And uh, I was having stomach pain and just wasn't eating as much. And I don't, I, I still to this day can't even remember why I did this, but for some reason I got on the scale and I had realized that I had lost five pounds. Uh, and so my mom, obviously, you know, an eight year old should not be losing weight. So my mom took me to the family doctor who then, um, referred me to, to a GI specialist at Sick Kids, and then I started to have a bunch of tests done. And so by the time I was diagnosed, I was nine. But my, my dad's brother, my uncle, uh, had Crohn's since he was 13, so we kind of already suspected that that's what I had, uh, but just needed it to be confirmed. And after both a, a scope up and a scope down, it was determined that I did have Crohn's disease. Um, and I was relatively okay between nine and 13 or nine and 11. I was, you know, on different medications, went to school, had to, you know, not eat stringy vegetables or seeds or popcorn or anything like that. Um, I still remember my mom used to peel strawberries for me because I couldn't have the seeds, but she didn't want me to miss out on strawberries. So she put in a lot of effort into my food. Um, and then when I was 11, there was one one week where I had a stomach bug and it was completely different than Crohn's. Like I could tell the difference, but it never really went away. Um, it had flared up my Crohn's 
and it just kind of threw my whole body for a loop. Um, I was supposed to go to sleepaway camp at the age of, of 11 and I was late by a week because of how sick I was. And then my parents really thought, you know, just go, it's new kids and, you know, a new experience, try it out. And they thought I was just kind of being nervous, but I still just really wasn't feeling well. And I basically spent, I can't even remember how long because I slept every single day and night at this camp running to the bathroom, which was unfortunately up a hill uh, and a little bit away away from the cabin that I was sleeping in. So I had to do that for a couple of nights and ended up in the nurse's cabin. And it was just a, a bad situation. So my parents came and picked me up. And then essentially, I was taken to sick kids hospital, where I spent the better part of two years living there, uh, going through more tests, more medications, uh, more diets. I was on, you know, NPO for a while. I even ended up having my own IV machine at home. They sent me home to hope that I could go to school where I would be plugged in to TPN at night and unplugged to go to class, you know, throughout the day. Uh, but things just ended up getting worse and worse. And none of the medications were working. I was bleeding more. I was extremely tired. I was bloated from steroids. And, you know, at the age of 13, the, the surgeon at the time, Dr. Langer, who's actually a family friend, um, came in and sat down and asked me, you know, if I would be okay having ostomy surgery and that, you know, if I didn't, there was a good chance that I was going to die. And so I said, yes, like better than what's happening now. And on January 30th, 2003, I had ileostomy surgery. Now here I am. <laughs> That's an amazing story, Jessica. And, you know, to be honest, every time you, you tell that, you tell it with such grace and elegance and uh, um, enthusiasm maybe is the wrong word but that that's really how it feels you know you're you're remarkable and uh, you know I, I'm curious at a 30,000 foot level and you can go deeper if you want uh, you know having a chronic illness sort of defines so many so many aspects of so many people's lives I think it's safe to say and you've clearly as we've heard done so many amazing things and continue to be a an advocate on the on the on the medical side, but do so much more in your life. I'm curious how having a, a chronic disease that certainly you're now maybe ahead of um, has really uh, impacted your view of life and and how you you interact with with all the obstacles that that come in life, including say COVID <laughs> and everything else we're dealing with. You know. Yeah. Well, specifically to the COVID thing, it's funny because I haven't I haven't left in a while. I know we'll speak about that later. But everyone's like, are you going crazy? And I'm like, I trained for this. I spent two years in a hospital. Like, I'm so used to being in a bed. This is, you know, I have a bigger condo. I'm totally fine. Yeah. And now we have yeah. portable video games. I didn't really have that back then. I'm old, right? So. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're almost. Uh, <laughs> that's right. You're almost COVID special forces now, right? Yeah, exactly. That's great. Exactly. Um, but, you know, just in terms of how the the illness kind of defined me, I don't think it defines me, you know, if when I explain who I am to people or I introduce myself, that's not part of how I do that. But I think it's turned me into the person that I am. Um, it's really given me the ability to push through pain, to, you know, focus and get things done, to make tough decisions. You know, you really have to mature quickly when you're when you're sick. Um, and figure out how to get through life. Even, you know, even as a kid, I still had to do school. And, you know, even though I was given, a, you know, a lot of help and ways around it, I still tried to study. I still knew that I couldn't be left behind because of this. And so I guess just the 
the skills that I developed from that were just skills that have turned me into who I am today. Yeah, that's amazing. Whatever you're doing, keep 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 doing it. I'll <laughs> tell you that. You know, you know, you you mentioned Dr. Langer, and obviously you're talking about Jack Langer, who yep. has had um, you know contributions to a lot of our training that have come through Toronto, and of course his dad, Bernie Langer, is uh, an, an icon in in the specialty mm -hmm. that I that I work in. So two two pretty amazing uh, um, gents and an amazing family. But you know, if I if I push you a little bit and and ask you. Um, when you when you talk about him coming as a family friend, sitting at your bedside and, and sort of giving you that semi option of moving towards a stoma, I, I'm curious about two things. N number one, how did Jack do that? Um, how did he frame it? How did he table it to you? And then part two is for those of us that that either do a lot of that or do a little of that. What are some of the the sentinel points and 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 um, and recommendations you'd have for that conversation? Whether there are things that you know maybe uh, can be done better or or typically um, um, you know the opposite of that as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's a lot there. So first of all, uh, when I say Jack was a family friend, I was 13, so I didn't have family friends. My parents did, so I wasn't that well acquainted with him, but they were. Um, which I guess helped them feel more comfortable with the situation. Uh, so me sitting down with him was actually the first time I had really met him, except maybe when I was really young. Um, but I knew who that he was connected to my family, so I did feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, but I was on a lot of painkillers, and I had such a low hemoglobin that everything was a blur. So the only thing that I really remember from that time was me being in this bed, him sitting very close beside me, and him saying, this is, this is the choice that you have to make. Your parents have said that this is your choice and the options are surgery or you may not survive. And that's, that's all I really remember. Um, but what's really important, and I'm sure that he doesn't do this with every patient and that I did get special treatment, but his wife, Fern, actually has an ostomy. So he arranged for her to come visit me before I had surgery. Um, so to be quite honest, she made a bit more of an impression than he did. Um, I hope he's not mad if he listens to this, but, um, but wow, she, that's came amazing. <laughs> she came in and she was wearing jeans and tuck, it tucked her shirt into her jeans. And I remember like lying back in bed and her kind of modeling what she was wearing. And I was like, I don't like, I couldn't even tell. And it wasn't that it was a, like I was waiting to make the choice. I had already made it, but it did really help me accept what was happening and that the choice I had made wasn't going to be the end of the world. So again, I'm not going to promise that he'll do that for anyone else um, or she will, but I, I do think that having her come in and just seeing someone else with it was, was really helpful. Um, and then to the point about how other doctors can have this conversation with their patients and what they can do to improve. It's a really, it's a really tough question to answer because everyone who has to face this surgery comes from a different situation. And I've, I've talked to tons and tons and tons of different people at different stages of their lives saying, I have to have ostomy surgery. Like, here are my questions. This is what I'm worried about. I've got moms coming to me with young sons and young daughters who are worried about their future. I've got, you know, girls and, and guys in their 20s saying, how am I going to date again? Or I have people who are married saying, I don't know if, you know, my husband or wife is going to be able to accept this. And so it really just depends on the stage of life that they're in, where that conversation is going to be different. And it also 
you know, there's people that come to me and say, I have the choice. It's not dire yet, but should I just do it and save all the pain? Right. Um, and so I think the key points that really, really matter is directing the patient to find people, not just like me, but there's a surprising amount of, of ostomy advocates now that weren't out there when I was when I was facing surgery. And so you just go on Instagram and you do hashtag ostomy and just make sure that they know that that's there because you're going to find so many people who are just embracing who they are now. Um, and it's just that that level of comfort that sometimes a doctor just just can't can't show if they don't have an ostomy like, yeah, you're a doctor telling me this, but do you even know? Right. So just, just helping them find other people, I think is important. Yeah. That whole point about like, do you even know? I mean, we can talk about these abstract things like, um, you know, recurrence rates or bleeding or complications, but do I really know what it's like to live with a stoma? Absolutely not. And Mm -hmm. so I'm kind of curious, like, you know, when, when we think about, you know, this whole process of informed consent, you know, where we, we tell people, you know, this is the surgery. These are the risks. These are the options. Here, make a choice. You know how? how and, and obviously, you just said you know, this. This discussion needs to be tailored to the patient. But, but how do you think about you know when we're giving that kind of information to people? Like, you know, do do you think that you know telling everyone, every patient, all the risks, um, and going through that in such detail is critical for everybody. I mean, we certainly feel like that because we feel worried about the legal implications of it. But mm-hmm. maybe we do people a disservice by going into all the the, the risks and the benefits and, and giving them all these options when it's such a complex, confusing thing, even for us sometimes. what? How do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you're right that it is complex. Um, And you are coming at it from the medical pros and cons kind of angle without potentially really understanding the psychological and the sociological sides of it. Um, And it's just not something that they train for. It's not something that you, I mean, unless you have one, like, how, how do you know? You just can't. And so I think making sure that you approach it being completely honest about that and saying, I haven't lived a life with an ostomy. I can't say that I will know what you're going to go through if you choose to do this. But I do know that there are lots of people out there who are living their best lives because of surgery. So I think as long as you add that to the medical and the, you know, the the step by step pieces that you need to tell them, again, it goes back to the individual doing their own research, which everyone who should, you know, is doing anything medical should be looking at, right? Um, is just like making sure that they know to look elsewhere and to go to the community. Um, there's a lot of Facebook groups, again, Instagram, there's just a ton of people or, you know, of course myself, anyone can always reach out. Doctors can tell people to, to DM me on, on Instagram. That's totally fine. Um, but asking questions before making a decision, you know, it's, it's a good thing to do. And I'm sorry to some of the doctors out there, but you just may not have the, the right answers or know how to answer. So sending them into the community for sure. Can you give us some examples of things that you think physicians maybe don't even, aren't even aware that they don't know about when talking about <laughs> uh, stomas or, or this type of operation that, that you think if people talk to someone with a stoma, they would, that would like come up right away. Oh my God. So many, like how to dress, how to have sex, what to eat, 
Uh, can they swim? Can they go, like, what exercise can they do? Um, like literally how to live life is, is just what it is. And again, it's circumstantial, right? Like what's a mom going to ask for their child who's young versus, you know, a grown adult who's their life is flipped upside down. Right. I think I, I always say I was really lucky that I had surgery when I did because I hadn't fully developed into a human being with a with a routine and a schedule and, you know, a social life. So I developed mine around that. But it's, it's for everyone, it's just how do you live life? And again, unless you've experienced what it's like, you you just can't answer that. Honestly, you can try, but, you know, it's, it's not going to be the truth. Yeah, and for sure, we'll put all the the links, obviously, to to your Instagram page and to your website and blog, and and to some of the other resources that you think are are valuable. Because mm-hmm. I think this is going to be so important for for other patients uh, and and surgeons, frankly, so that they can mm-hmm. give this to their patients, so that that they can really reach out to people and 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 ask those kinds of questions. Because you're right, I, I, we would have no clue really about um, h- how to approach all of that. We've been talking sort of about the situation where you were, you were, you were in the hospital and um, and you maybe had a bit of time to think about what to do. And sometimes we run into this situation where mm-hmm. you know it's an emergency and you know someone's bleeding or, or or has a perforation or something like that, and we have to do this uh, you know in the middle of the night. And obviously that's a very mm-hmm. kind of different discussion. Do you, and I know your situation was a little different, but in your discussion with other patients. Is there something different we should be doing for those types of situations, uh, emergency situations, or maybe we should just be simplifying things, you know, either we do this or you die kind of thing. What? How do you think about that emergency type situation? Hmm. I mean, technically mine was emergent, but I think I had like three days before I got scheduled in. Um, I was told after the fact, by the way, that even if I said no, they were going to do it. But they, they they knew I would be smart enough to make the right decision. Um, but I have spoken to people who who have said I woke up from a motorcycle crash and suddenly had an ostomy or, you know, um, something to do with pregnancy. It went wrong and I ended up with an ostomy. Um, I think that it's it's the same conversation. It's this wasn't your choice, but we had to do it because of X, Y, and Z. And it's going to change things. But there are other people out there. And again, it just goes back to you're not alone. And I think that it's even more important, the the factor that they're not alone, to get that across. Um, because they didn't even have time to look for people. So maybe putting an emphasis on you as the physician or the surgeon to come prepared with resources. Again, uncoverosme.org, first place you send them. They can just read about all the the stuff that I've dealt with. Um, and from there, they'll know there's other people out there. Um, I think, yeah. And then I think too, is making sure that they're connected with a really good interstomal nurse. Um, I haven't mentioned her yet, but I had one who was absolutely amazing. Like I'm pretty sure her and my mom still keep in touch. Um, but she also really helped just get used to everything, tried out different products, um, you know, just have someone to talk to, uh, who knew a little bit more of the ins and outs than, than the surgeons did. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, uh, for a lot of us, I think we truly deeply believe our, our stoma nurse, uh, uh, folks are some of the most important individuals in a hospital and in an outpatient setting. So that, that's great advice. Jessica, I want to I want to break this uh, down into um, really uh, 
uh, short snapper questions and and i i <laughs> hope uh uh you know you feel free to uh pass on any of them but oh god uh, okay <laughs> what what do, you, what do you have in terms of tricks and tips for managing your stone mine and in particular you know we're thinking about things like when you go to exercise uh when you're riding a bike when you're in the gym uh, so on when you, when you want to work out when you want to be more physical what what are some of the the points of advice you have and you know we're biased in Calgary a little bit because a lot of us have looked after a very famous professional hockey player that played for a long time with a stoma uh, in the NHL and and you sort of see that and you realize that at, a, at an early uh, stage if you're if you're uh, if you're just training anyway that that mm-hmm. really the the potential is massive and I don't think you know, when I bring that story up, most folks, it sort of blows their mind. They, they don't think that's possible. So I'm curious what your trick, mechanics, tips and tricks are, as well as uh, your view of that. Oh, everyone always asks me for tips and tricks. And it's like, this is who, like, this is just how I am, how I have to be. It's, I make sure my, my bag is empty and I put on my yoga pants or my bike shorts and I just work out. That's it. That's all it is. There's, Nothing special. I'm sorry to disappoint. <laughs> you know what? You're 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 not disappointing, and I was hoping that's what you'd say, right? Because because that sort of is the point. You, you know, it's it's like so many other things we 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 deal with and we we live with in in life. You sort of get on with it, and I think that's part of what's amazing about your outlook and and your uh, your your action uh, in in your in your life. What what are some of the biggest obstacles or hurdles or or sort of mechanical challenges that you've had to deal with over a long period of time? Mm, definitely figuring out how to dress both for my ostomy and just to not dress poorly. Um, again, I had an ostomy when I was young, so still figuring out my own fashion sense. And I look back at photos and I cringe a little bit, not going to lie. Um, but I think being able to find clothes that felt comfortable, but also looked good was, you know, it's a challenge for a lot of women just normally anyway. Um, but also figuring out what underwear and, you know, I wear, uh, shorts underneath a lot of my pants or I wear tight leggings. So just getting, getting that feel down for what was comfortable for me. Um, I think that was really the the biggest thing. Um, you know, with certain companies who offer different products, trying them out and trying different ones until you find what works. Um, I did find ones that worked really well and then they stopped making them as well. So I had to switch. It's always scary to have to switch products for, for an ostomate because you get so used to something. Um, but I was having a couple of malfunctions with some old products. Um, but as long as, you know, you, you try other things and find the, the best one that works, then everything's pretty, pretty easy after that. I know this is probably very individualized for the person and their body habitus um, and where the stoma is, but are there any products that you really love and you find to be um, something that like a lot of people seem to like? Well, I, I can't name companies because that's how I get funding for Uncover Ostomy when I'm sponsored. So I'm not going to say anything, but <laughs> I'm, I'm open to sponsorship if anyone wants to talk. Um, but I have really opted for the closed end pouches, which ugh, most, most ET nurses are like, are you kidding? Like you have an ileostomy, like how often do you have to empty it? So it's not the norm, but I actually love it way more because I don't have to worry about the open end. Like that's what always freaks me out is the end. Um, and it just 
being open, you know, like where you have to clip it closed. Mm -mm. I just like it full, full circle, take it off, dump it. I'm good to go. Um, it doesn't work for everyone. Um, I do have to empty it more often, especially if I'm out, uh, which I have not been in a while, but, uh, that's one of the downsides of it. And then I also don't eat a lot. Like I, sometimes I do, but if I'm out and about, it's like, I'll have small little meals or snacks or whatever. So it reduces the amount I do have to empty. So that's why the closed ones really work well for me. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. Um, I wanted to, to draw attention, obviously, to your, your blog and, and to your uh, website, uncoverostomy.org. It, it's been really fun in preparing for this to read through a lot of your entries and watch your videos. Like they're, they're like remarkably frank blog posts and like really, like really, really enjoyable to read. One of the ones that really caught my attention was this one where you, you say it's entitled, it's time to stop showing off your stoma. And you, you kind of argue that it's time for you personally. And, and uh, it was kind of a call to your readers to stop drawing attention to how you were different. Can you tell us a little bit about what you wrote in that, uh, that post and, and what motivated you to write it? Yeah. So that was for our 10 year uh, uncover ostomy anniversary. I've been doing it for, well, I guess 11 years. Um, and it's, it, it really came to me because of how far the movement has come. So like I said, when I was 13, you know, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't a lot of places to look for the community. Um, and when you Googled things, there were not great photos out there. Anything related to ostomies was like 60 plus. So I built Uncover Ostomy with the idea of showing that you can have a stoma and you can have an ostomy and be young and be active and live a normal life and look good and dress well um, because it wasn't out there. And but it it also wasn't that well known. Like when I would tell people about my journey and that I had an ostomy, they'd be like, what is an ostomy? So there was a, a learning element, not just about teaching that the ostomy can be accepted, but just even explaining what it is. And that was half the battle. Now with Instagram, with Facebook, with social media, and, and just the body positive movement, I think had played a really big part is so many more people are sharing now that there's less of a need to actually explain what it is because so many people are just saying that they have them, that it's become a little bit more well-known. But on top of that, because we don't need to explain it, we don't need to show it as much. Now, now people know what it is and there isn't a need to draw attention to it. So what I said is if you look at my original photos, my older photos, you know, a bit for uncover ostomy and what I used to post, it was very much like, Hey, look at my ostomy. Let me tell you about this, how it saved my life, like what it is, how it works. But now I don't need to do that. I don't need to say, look at it instead. And with the, the more recent photos that we've put out, it's about how the ostomy can help you and save your life, but it's not the focus of who you are. So my photos, actually, what we did is um, we recreated uh, top model photos and I like posed exactly like them and I had an ostomy but the ostomy wasn't the focus of the photos and the point was to show that you can do all of these things you can be a model and have an ostomy but you don't you might not even notice the ostomy and that's the point so you know there are a lot of people who have made the ostomy their entire 
personal definition. Like that's the first thing they tell people about themselves. That's how they, you know, decide is the most important thing about them and their lives. But I don't think that that needs to be true. I think the ostomy has allowed you to be other things. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to get out is let it just be a thing that saved us. Let people know what it is. Now look at all the other things we can do because of it. And that's, that's kind of what the point has been. I think for me, what that, what that blog post really emphasized was like, you know, that is sort of the message that we, that I need to remember as a, as a surgeon or, or as a physician talking to patients is like, I think a lot of people are like you that they don't want to be defined by the fact that they have a stoma and there is so much more to life than, than focusing on this stoma and, and uh, you know, you can go out and, and do amazing things like you have. So I, I really learned a lot from that post. So thank you. Thank you very much for doing it. You know, you talked about starting the, the Uncover Ostomy blog and congrats on 10 years. What else have you kind of learned from the process of doing this? Have there been any, un, you know, unexpected things that you've learned from, from doing the blog and putting yourself out there and talking about your journey? Things that I've learned? Yeah, like like I'm I'm curious if you, if there have been things that have happened or people you know stories that people have told you that that have surprised you, um, and and things that you've learned about other people's experiences through doing this blog. Well, I mean, I've learned to not be surprised because there's a lot that people have gone through and dealt with. Um, I think one of I don't think this was a learning. I think this was just a really great story that I I really like to tell. And I think it really speaks to the volume of, of that community element for patients and why it's important. Um, I was living in New York at the time and I got a, a Facebook message from a guy. I think he was seven, 16 or 17 at the time. He was in the UK and he had very bad Crohn's disease. And, you know, he saw Uncover Ostomy and said, my, my doctors have said I should probably get an ostomy. Um, but they're also telling me that I could get a bone marrow transplant as a, 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 a what, what's the term? It was like a test to see if it was a trial, I guess, where they were trying to do bone marrow <laughs> replacements um, to reset the immune system. And so he came to me saying, these are my two options. And that he didn't want to get an ostomy because he really wanted to be in the army and he didn't think he could be in the army with a stoma. So he was going to opt for the bone marrow transplant. And coincidental enough, um, my father had actually died two years before after having a bone marrow transplant because he had a rare blood disease uh, called myelofibrosis. And he didn't actually die from the bone marrow transplant, but he died from the chemo to have the bone marrow transplant. So not only was this something I was very well aware of, but I couldn't believe that a doctor was suggesting it as like an, a, a chosen, uh, like, why would you choose to do that after what I had seen my father go through? So we, we talked a lot. I explained exactly what I watched my dad go through, how hard it is on the body, like just what's involved. And also how easy it is in comparison to just have ostomy surgery and that it shouldn't have stopped him from from being in the army or you know even becoming a, a police officer or a cop or anything like that and you know of course I said and I say this all the time I am not a doctor I am not giving you medical advice I am just sharing my stories with you to inform your decision in, in you know another way than a doctor and 
eventually after a little while of chatting, he said, okay, I'm going to go and, and have ostomy surgery. I don't, I think you're right. I don't know if I need to go all the way to bone marrow transplant. Uh, and he did. And he ended up in the army just like he wanted. And I still have him on Facebook and he seems to be doing really, really well. And so I think, I think what that taught me is, is really the power of, of having someone who just has been through it to talk through it because you just can't beat someone having literally experienced both options. <laughs> yeah. That's a beautiful story. You know, you know, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of us as physicians and surgeons do a pretty poor job of of connecting uh, patients sometimes with, with some of these harder diseases, whether that's pancreatic cancer or pancreatitis or gastrointestinal diseases as you've described. And it, it, it's something I, I do think about uh, on a daily basis. And, and some disease processes, as you know, have really good patient support uh, networks and collegiality and collaborations and other ones really don't. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, you know, how you've seen that progress or or not progress uh, with regard to inflammatory bowel disease over over your uh, your pathway in your course. Um, I mean, I will get emails from my doctor, from doctors who know me. Hey, can you talk to this patient? Sure, no problem. But they have to reach out to me, and that's the extent of it is I, I am an example that the doctors share as a potential option and I coordinate with them. And it's only a couple because they know me, they have my email address and that's it. That's all I've experienced is just, hey, you wanna do this? Cool, yeah, I'll help. But there's no, at least from where I am and um, what I'm connected to, I haven't really been a part of a patient program. Um, there was a support group at Sick Kids after I had surgery that I was um, <laughs> enrolled in by my parents. They were really convinced that I'd have a really hard time mentally with the ostomy. Little did they know what I would become. Um, but I think that that was unique because it was Sick Kids, right? They have support groups for parents and kids for literally everything that you could imagine. Um, but when it comes to more of the adult hospitals, it, it really is just uh, an email between me and some doctors and that's it. <laughs> well, it's amazing. Again, you know, as Amir said that you're willing to, to put yourself out there and, and to have those interactions because I, I have no doubt they're, they're life-changing for a lot of uh, the folks on, on the other end, given your dynamic personality and your experience. <laughs> um, you, you know, I'm curious if, if we come back to the, the comments about, about COVID um, you know, I, I I know you haven't been out of the house much except <laughs> to get maybe your vaccine, but how, how has COVID affected, um, um, you know, IBD patients or you in particular uh, beyond the obvious, obvious stuff? How's it impacted your life? I mean, besides a couple times in March 2020 when we were all a little bit like, what's going on? Like, unsure about it. And then going to my cottage a couple times and then going to the ER because of course it wouldn't be a, an ostomy journey without an ER trip at some point. Um, yeah, I haven't left. And I think like I made the decision to take this extremely seriously for two reasons. Uh, one of them is obviously my health and knowing that I am immunocompromised because when you don't have a colon, you know, your whole system is not that great at fighting things. Um, and so 
it was just a risk I didn't want to take. You know, they don't know really if COVID is worse for IBD patients, but I didn't want to be the case study for that. Um, and then the second reason is how many people are putting their lives on the line and people that I know personally or professions that I have benefited from, like doctors and nurses and medical staff, they don't have a choice. And the little bit that I can do is to stay home. And I chose to do that to help them. And even if it's just me and my husband and everyone else is terrible and they're still going out and running around, at least it's two less people that are standing in the way of us getting rid of this. I wanted to sort of move towards the end there and ask you um, maybe a couple of philosophical questions. I'm I'm curious um, if there was one or two pieces of advice that you could give someone really at any age demographic that's recently diagnosed with Crohn's disease. What would you tell them? What what would that be? Oh, with Crohn's disease. Um, I think what I would tell them is it will suck. It might suck for a while. Um, you might wonder why you were one of the chosen ones to experience the wonders of, of Crohn's disease. Um, but there are a lot of solutions to the problem. And maybe an ostomy is one of them. It is more on the severe end. But if that is where you end up, it is not the end of the world. It could be the start of a new one. Let me ask you the flip the uh, the flip side of that. What's the what are some of the pieces of advice that you would give physicians who look after patients with with IBD and in particular maybe um, I don't know if it, if this is too parsed and too nuanced but you know at the surgeon side of things and then maybe on the more long term uh, family physician and gastroenterology side of things as well. Oh. Um, I, I've had very good care. So I, when I say this, it's, it's not something that I've experienced, but it is that I've heard from others is that physicians should listen and really, really listen to their patients because IBD manifests in so many strange and weird ways beyond just gut health that if someone who knows their body is saying that something is not right or something new has developed to really listen to them and to really help figure out how to solve it, whether it's under your specialty or you need to bring in someone else, but they're your patient and they're dealing with something that may be really impacting their lives and they're, they're going to need you to help them. That's great advice. Thank you. Um, you're right, you know, and it's certainly not an excuse, but, you know, with with how busy folks are and how rapid clinic visits can be, it's easy to slip away from that really important truth, no matter what we do, whether it's gastrointestinal disease or not. Um, and I think that mm-hmm. those reminders are always really important. So so thank you. The, the, I think, the last yeah. Part, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I think one of the things that a lot of um, IBD doctors don't really think about, and again, not my personal experience, but um, is that you would never really think that Crohn's can affect so many other things, but the gut is really like a main part of the body that can manifest so many different ways. Like I have a lot of skin problems. Um, You know, I, I get migraines and headaches and I'm sure it's related somehow to, you know, my 
ability to absorb food. And so it's easy to kind of cast it aside as, oh, I'll, you know, it should be under this person or that person. But the gut really is the main part of the body that affects a lot of other pieces. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a great point, right? It's it's such a central hub. It's so important. Yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah, the, the last question we ask, uh, Jessica, really of all of our guests, and it's always interesting to to hear the answers, and I'm particularly excited to ask you. About, I know it's a, a bit of a buildup, but it's, I think it's pretty simple. Which, which is, if you could go back and and visit your younger self, and and the time point uh, is up to you, whether that's at your initial diagnosis or or beyond that. Um, what advice would the would the experienced and, and mature you have given yourself um, back then? Oh God, um, I think it would have been to be more confident. I I didn't find my confidence until I finished high school. Um, it didn't really have anything to do with my ostomy. I was just always a weird kid, and then getting sick definitely didn't help. But it's I, in some weird way, I think my ostomy gave me a, a weird confidence eventually that it would have been fun to have been more confident earlier on. I think I could have, it could have saved a lot of time and effort if I had loved myself when I was, when I was younger than, than when I had finished high school for sure. You've been listening to Cold Steel the official podcast of the Canadian Journal of Surgery. If you've liked what you've been listening to, please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your comments and feedback, so feel free to email us at podcast.cjs at gmail.com or connect with us on Twitter at CanJSurge. Thanks again.